welcome to the Sound of Loneliness podcast. We are so happy to have you. Welcome to the stories we all carry within us. We hope you are inspired by the voices of grit and grace we share in these episodes and maybe even see yourself in these stories. Today's episode is called Cheers to Your Health. And we called it that because it's January. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking New Year. Yep. And yeah, we wanted to start there. But before we get into it, a reminder to like, follow, subscribe to the Sound of Loneliness podcast wherever you listen and to our YouTube channel. This is going to grow our capacity to offer you more of what you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's a new year. It's a new year. And uh, when we say cheers in a bunch of different languages, we often mean to your health, right? Mm-hmm. So in French, we say santé. Um, and I don't think I'm going to say all the different languages <laughs> and butcher them. But yeah. in Spanish and in Irish Gaelic, all of those different languages, and there's a whole bunch more, when we say cheers to each other, mm-hmm. usually we're saying some version of to your health. Yeah. So in setting our intentions, we prefer the term intentions than New Year's resolutions for mental health or for self-care, well-being, growth, mm-hmm. then we were thinking about what kinds of intentions might people be setting and one of them might be let's go to therapy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? We thought we'd start there. Absolutely. Yeah. So if that is a resolution or an intention that um, you know some of our listeners have been thinking of, we thought today we could focus a little bit on getting a little bit more information on how do you choose a therapist? How do you make that decision? What kinds of questions or considerations might you have? So we thought we could be a little bit of a guide and start off today with having a discussion around that. So even talking about how to choose your therapist as yeah. your initial kind of consideration and, and the different types of practitioners. I think a lot of folks don't realize um, the number of mental health professionals that are out there accessible to them. And so even starting with how do we differentiate between all of us and kind of what we do? Yeah, really good question. Not something that most people, I think, understand the difference between. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we thought we would sort of help shine a light on that. Mm-hmm. So we could go to therapy and we could see a number of different professionals. So one could be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So that's usually someone who has a PhD. They're often um, research-based. They can do a lot of assessments for you. And a really important piece about a psychologist is they can diagnose. Yes. So if you are looking for a diagnosis or a particular type of assessment, Mm -hmm. they can do that for you. So that's a psychologist. They do often offer therapy as well. Mm -hmm. And psychologists can be covered by extended health insurance plans. We're talking about Canadian kind of stuff here. Yes. So, And then you could go to therapy and see a social worker. Mm -hmm. So a social worker who provides therapy usually has a master's in social work. And when you take social work in school, you can have all sorts of different focuses. So you can have a social justice focus. You can have a a health focus. Um, You can have a clinical focus where Mm -hmm. you learn about therapy and how to deliver therapy so you can become a therapist. So so some people go to therapy and they see social workers. Yeah. 
you can actually receive psychotherapy from a family doctor. Yep. And some family doctors choose to receive training in psychotherapy as well. So that's another avenue. And then they are qualified to offer some diagnoses for some mental health issues and also um, recommend pharmaceutical interventions as well. That's right. They can write the prescriptions. They can also direct you to another specialist if they think that you need further care, like a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Right. We could also go to an occupational therapist. So occupational therapists don't primarily offer or psychotherapy, but they can. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's another person that we could see. We can also see a nurse mm -hmm. or a nurse practitioner. Uh, we can see a coach. Mm-hmm. Or a life coach. And these are people who have decided to become counselors. And there are training programs, various sort of different ways that people or, or paths that people take to become coaches. And then finally, we get to registered psychotherapists. And that's yep. what we are. Mm -hmm. So to be a registered psychotherapist, you have to have a master's degree. And it's usually in psychology, psychotherapy, counseling, could be in marriage and family therapy, and in Ontario and in four other provinces in Canada so far, um, you have to be regulated to practice psychotherapy. Yeah. And that's in Ontario, that's only been since 2015. So with psychotherapy, um, we focus on talk therapy, but we're not qualified to make assessments or diagnoses or any type of medications or pharmaceuticals. But oftentimes we also collaborate with other mental health professionals or physicians to kind of ensure that the clients that we see are getting uh, treatment in different ways. But our focus is, is just on the talk piece. So once you've kind of decided what type of mental health professional would really meet your needs, what makes sense for you, then I think it's really important to start talking about um, their training and specifically based on your presenting issue, what type of training you'd like that person to have. Right. So just because they've got a master's mm -hmm. in some sort of psychotherapy doesn't necessarily mean that they are specifically trained to deal with you as a person or with your specific presenting issue. So we want to make sure that we're looking for people who have been trained to meet our needs, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking for couples therapy, right? If it's me and my partner, if it's me and my family and we need family therapy, then I'm going to look for not just someone who says that they do family therapy and provide family therapy, but someone who has training in family therapy. So I'm going to look at those things on perhaps their website or wherever it is that you found them listed, you know, on a marketing online tool, something like that. And you look through what kind of training do they have specifically to help them work with families or couples. If you're bringing your child to therapy, we really want to be seeing a therapist that has been trained to work with children. Children are not just little adults. <laughs> well, sometimes my kids seem like it, right? <laughs> but they're not. And yeah. doing therapy with children is really different. Mm -hmm. It's really specialized. So we definitely want a therapist who has been trained specifically like that. So for example, in our practice, we have child life specialists. So their master's degrees are specifically to work with children from birth to age 18. 
So that's their area that they are really specialized in and they have very specific tools, modalities, all geared to that age group. And I don't have that training. So they do stuff that blow my mind all the time. <laughs> yep. And that's who I would want my children to see are people who are specifically trained that way. Same thing as if you're presenting with a history of trauma, right? Trauma is something that can affect us in a myriad of ways. So we want someone who is not just trauma-informed, but also maybe has a trauma-focused approach mm -hmm. and is trained in trauma modalities. Absolutely. So I think one of the kind of key pieces there is encouraging folks when you're really looking into a therapist to read a little bit more about their background, look into if they have any specific certifications, any other programs that they've attended. I think a lot of us wouldn't be familiar with all of the specific language around modalities. But for example, if you're looking for a child and you notice, you know, certificates in play therapy, or they're able to offer a specific type of family therapy, that can really give you that cue that it's not just that they're able to, it's that they really have that specialized experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something I think that we've noticed a lot is uh, many people get sent to therapy for CBT. Yes. Most people have heard that acronym, CBT. Not everybody knows what it stands for. It stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And it is one of the first types of uh, therapy that was considered evidence-based. There are a pile of therapists or therapies now that are evidence-based. Yes, I think that's such a good point because that can create a lot of limitations or yes. barriers. If it's somebody saying, well, I, I just need CBT. Do you offer CBT? And it kind of can create these limitations because there's these wonderful evidence-based approaches that just haven't gotten that kind of pop culture recognition. And so not to overlook that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to kind of Take it with a grain of salt that whoever might have suggested CBT might be just suggesting therapy. Yes. And then when you go and meet your therapist, your therapist might be the person that will help you decide what kind of modality is actually going to be best suited to your needs. Yeah. Right? So it might be CBT. It might be something else. Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting, too, is to consider the experience of your practitioner. Mm -hmm. And I, when I say experience, I don't just mean experience as a therapist. I think I also mean life experience. Yes. So for some people, this really matters. We do have people that call in sometimes and they ask for someone who is, you know, older or has children or someone who's married or we have all sorts of requests. We also have requests for someone who's young. Just right? out of school. Someone who's woke. Yes. <laughs> right? So I think it's important to really stop and think about what's important to you. Yes. How might it, you know, feel to be with a practitioner who's a similar age to you, someone who's older than you, someone who's younger than you? What are some of the benefits to someone who is like you or different from you? Mm -hmm. What can they bring to the table? And also to understand that if your therapist is older than you, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have more life experience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've been a therapist for a long time. Absolutely. We have a lot of colleagues where, us, myself included, where therapy is actually a second career. So not making those assumptions. One thing I think a lot of us will do is include a little bit of a personal blurb at the bottom just to give a little bit of insight into who we are. And so that can be a nice way to start to uncover who is this person? What is their experience like? And does this really feel comfortable or would this feel comfortable for me? Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, taking all of that into account is really important 
helping people to really realize that you don't have to pick the first therapist that you see mm-hmm. or the first person that's been recommended to you. It's actually really important to pay attention to what feels important to you, but then to, to pay attention to what feels important when you meet the person, which we'll get to. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing too is to look at are there any other special considerations that we want our therapists to have? So cultural competence, mm-hmm. religious or spiritual affiliations, someone who works in an area with addictions or eating disorders, personality disorders, um, really thinking about who we're seeking out and whether or not they work with particular populations and are comfortable and well-versed. Absolutely. Or if they themselves are in a particular community as well, right. which would be important for some folks too. Right. So I think the other thing that we also look for when we're finding a therapist, especially now post-pandemic, is whether we want virtual or we want in-person therapy. What's interesting is I did offer virtual therapy long before we had a pandemic It was an option for some of my clients when they would go away, go to school, get married, and they didn't want to find a new therapist. And so I would continue to see them, but virtually. Mm -hmm. So I'd already sort of been used to doing some of that, but now it's really taken off. It's pretty common for people to have exclusively virtual practices now. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of the work that we do actually can be translated quite nicely to a virtual platform. So I think it's, again, really understanding your needs, even your family needs. So if you are a parent to a small child or you have really extensive work hours, what I'm noticing is a lot of my clients will kind of slot our appointments into a lunch break or first thing in the morning before work. So really thinking about what is going to help make therapy most accessible to me, most comfortable. And is that something the person can provide? Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And after our break, we're going to come back and we will talk more about finding your therapist and how to go from there and choose consults, intakes, what the fees are like, all of those fun things. Sounds good. Okay, welcome back. We're going to move on to talking about when you've chosen somebody to meet with, what kind of meeting would you like to start with? Mm -hmm. So some therapists offer consultations and some therapists you go straight into an intake. So what's the difference between the two? Right. So a consultation is really just an opportunity to have a meet and greet with your therapist just to kind of gauge personality fit there's any questions that you want to ask them in terms of their training, their areas of focus. It can also give you an opportunity to just give a high level overview of really what you're looking for. So what you want to take away from a consult is really just on both ends deciding that this feels right for us and we want to move forward. So you're not tied into anything. It's generally 15 to 30 minutes. can be done in person, virtually, or on the phone. And again, there's no fee. Yeah, so that sometimes is a benefit because sometimes people hesitate to go to therapy, especially if they've never been at all, because they don't want to kind of waste their money mm-hmm. or a big chunk of time if it's not going to work out or it's not going to be a good fit. 
So sometimes it's a little easier to take that step if you think, well, it could be like a 20-minute conversation with somebody. Maybe it's just on the phone and I don't have to pay anything. And from that 20-minute conversation, you can usually tell, yeah, this person, I've got some rapport with them already. Yes, I'm comfortable. Yes, this feels like a good fit. Or I'm intrigued and I want to, you know, talk to them more. Right. So usually at the end of a consult, we'll book an intake if it's a good fit. Some people need to go away and think about it and then they book their intake and some people will walk away and go, that wasn't the right fit for me. And that's okay. I think that's a really important piece, especially those of us, myself included, a little bit of a people pleaser. There could be a part of some of us that think if I do move forward with a consultation, I'd feel really bad if I said no, or I might feel obligated to move forward. So just know that from a therapist perspective, we want to make sure that the fit works for both of us. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Our therapy dog is very excited about what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's definitely going to be a topic for another episode is talking about therapy animals, which might be something you look for. Absolutely. With a therapist. But yes, we have a therapy dog in the room with us, which you might hear from time to time, get up, move around, chew a bone. And at that point, for some reason, whatever Kiata was saying, Charlotte was super in line with. She loved it. She she did. <laughs> so she had to come and give you a kiss and yes. lie down right behind you. Perfect. So she's all over that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so yes, going back basically if you really move away from that conversation and decide it's not the best fit for you, a therapist would not take that personally. Yeah. It wouldn't be anything that we would be offended by. It's really, we want to make sure the person sitting in front of us feels comfortable. So just not feeling any pressure to have to commit to something that doesn't feel right. I think the other flip side too is it also gives the therapist an opportunity to meet the client and see whether the client is the right fit for the therapist. Yeah. So we have to practice within our scope, right? We have to make sure that we are qualified to meet the needs of this client and that we feel like we are a good fit for them. So they might not pick up on it, but we might pick up on a reason for why this is not uh, a good fit or we know someone that might be a better resource for this person. And so that's the other reason that going and meeting for a consult can be really effective. So it's an opportunity for you as a client and it's an opportunity for the therapist as well yeah. to meet each other and figure stuff out. So another thing to consider is when would the therapist be able to start working with you if you do decide that the fit feels right? So some questions you might wanna ask are things like, you know, does the therapist have a wait list for example? Or based on their schedule, are they scheduling in the next couple of weeks or don't have availability for a month or two? That might also influence the direction that you go in. And in that same line, asking a bit about scheduling as well. Um, some clients you know, need evenings in particular or weekend appointments, and that's not offered by everyone. So just getting a sense of you know, are they a Monday to Friday, nine to five? And if so, how does that work with your life? Is that something that's possible? So I do think it's important to kind of touch on that scheduling piece as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So everybody's favorite question, mm -hmm. how much is it going to cost to go yes. to therapy? <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, we don't have it completely covered by our provincial health insurance here. So sometimes you have to pay out of pocket 
Sometimes you'll have extended health insurance benefits that may or may not cover the practitioner that you've chosen. So that's something really important to check before you see your practitioner because it's not their job to know what your benefits are. It's going to be your job to figure that out and everybody's package can look a little different. So check and see which practitioners are covered, how much coverage you have per year, per session, so that you know that already. And if you don't have coverage, then you're going to kind of decide what you're going to budget for this. Some therapists have, a lot of therapists have sliding scales. So if you are in any sort of financial need and you share that information when you're booking the appointment, then you might find out about a sliding scale at that point. There are organizations that offer therapy. There's not-for-profits and there's private therapy. There are one session services. So that would be a little bit different than an ongoing relationship that you would create with a therapist. But sometimes we don't have the ability to attend ongoing therapy. It's not available to us for a number of reasons. And we can go into a walk-in center and we can see someone for 60 to 90 minutes and deal with one concrete issue and maybe get some coping strategies and some resources that way. So that's another thing. Find out how your practitioner takes payment. So do they take cash, check, credit card, e-transfer? Find out all those things ahead of time. Sometimes when you go to therapy, you feel a little bit nervous. You're in a new situation. So having all that information ahead of time, it might be all on their website. Uh, You might be able to call in and find all of that. It just makes you feel a little bit better if you just know those things before you get started. So therapists can also offer some niche services, and if that's something that you're interested in or want to explore, a conversation around that can be helpful as well. So some of those niche services, uh, the practice that we're at, Amanda's Practice Valley, we've offered some of them or, or currently offer them. So things such as therapy dogs, for example. We're lucky enough to have some really beautiful furry friends that join our therapy sessions that a lot of clients, they really find helpful. It can be really comforting. It can help make the therapy experience actually quite enjoyable in a lot of ways. We've offered equine therapy in the past that would take place actually out on a farm somewhere and the client has an opportunity to communicate and build a relationship with the horse during their therapy sessions. There's things like play therapy and art therapy, uh, music therapy. A lot of therapists will also offer walk and talks. So Depending on the time of year, you might even choose to spend the majority of your sessions walking through a park or just spending that time walking through nature or things like meditation or mindfulness. So it can be kind of cool to look into what therapy can look like. It doesn't just have to be the two of you in a room having a conversation. There can be other ways to do it and it can be kind of creative and actually quite fun. So if that's something that you want to explore, Ask those questions as well and see if that's an offering. Now let's say that you've chosen your therapist. Maybe you've gone to your consult. It's felt like a pretty decent connection. And so now you've set up an intake appointment. And one of the questions I get is, what am I supposed to talk about in therapy? (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) So how do we start a session What do we say to our therapist as a client? Are we supposed to prepare for our sessions? 
What do you tell clients if they're like, well, I don't, what am I supposed to talk about? What do I say? Mm-hmm. That's a question I'm asked quite a bit that someone will show up and say, I don't know what to talk about today. And it's usually, that's okay. <laughs> There's no pressure. Do you kind of take a similar approach? Yeah. And I always find it really funny that every single time someone has said, I don't have anything to talk about today, or I don't know what we're going to talk about, we end up having so much to mm-hmm. talk about or one of the deepest conversations we've ever had and we always look back and go wasn't that funny that <laughs> thought there was nothing to talk about today mm-hmm. sometimes it's almost like because maybe the client's not in a crisis so there isn't something right at the front of their mind of oh my gosh this terrible thing just happened and I have to talk about it and so really there's a lot of breathing room and so we can look at some deeper issues that maybe we normally wouldn't be able to look at and address and that's the perfect time when they say I don't have anything to talk about people sometimes say I don't know why I'm here yes or like my girlfriend made me come mm-hmm. that's another one that I hear a lot right like or my mother told me I have to come mm-hmm. right and sometimes that's where it starts yep. I do couples therapy and often I say there's like the reluctant one mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the dragged <laughs> partner right I mean most most of the time both people want to be there to some degree but usually one person is a little bit more hesitant than the other or had to be kind of talked into it for various reasons and so they don't really know how it's going to go and they don't really know why they're there what they're going to say and how it's going to go right and so sometimes it's really good to just show up like that and let the therapist do their job Mm -hmm. right because Our job is to really just spur the moment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) deal with whatever comes at us. We don't have a script. Yep. Right? So, and we're used to that. That's just how we work. So we don't need to know what you're going to talk about. You don't have to create a list of talking points before you get into our office. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't have to do a bunch of planning. You can. Sometimes that's really helpful. And if that's the way you roll, great. But if you don't, or if you usually do and this time you don't, roll with it and see how it goes without your talking points. Do I need a goal? Good question. I think that's something that um, clients can put a bit of pressure on themselves as well about, like, what is my goal? I'm not sure what my goal is. So again, I think it's really important to, to remember that we don't show up to our work expecting that people are going to know exactly why they're there or what they want to do. And actually, that's part of our job a lot of the times is to kind of come alongside them and help provide that clarity over time, talk them through situations so they can start to, it can become revealed why they're there and what they really want to work towards. So again, if you show up and we say, do you have a goal or expectation? And the answer is no. Yeah, fine. No, no problem at all. We can continue to move forward and we can do this together. So don't let that be a barrier to starting, I would say. Yeah. And sometimes we have a really clear goal or a concrete goal and then it becomes a moving target. It kind of shifts and changes because we think we think we're there for one particular reason and then we end up going to therapy for a whole other reason that we didn't really know we needed to go for. So I kind of hold the idea of goals very loosely. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really need to know exactly what their goal is. And it's not really something that I know in a, in a concrete way with words. It's sort of a feeling that I have and it keeps morphing and changing and growing along with the work that we do. So, I mean, no therapist is going to laugh at you if you show up and don't have anything to say, 
we know how hard it is to show up. And so we'll show up with you and then we'll just figure it out. Absolutely. Right? And how do you tend to answer the question, how many sessions will I need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long is it going to take until I'm cured? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I. So recently I kind of came up with a bit of an analogy for this because we get asked that a lot, especially with parents and their kids. You know, I take my kid to the chiropractor and so he's going to need 10 appointments and then they're going to fix this injury. So how many appointments do I need to bring my kid to therapy for, for you to fix this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish that I could actually give them a number, but what I say is, look, it's kind of like if your kid's playing high-level sports, Mm -hmm. okay? So they have to go to practices and drills, and a lot of what you see them do in drills doesn't look at all like what you see them do in the tournaments, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're like, what are you doing? Why are (laughs) you doing that? Yes. Except that we don't ask those questions because we're so used to understanding that that must be a drill. Mm -hmm. There must be a reason for it. And we trust the coach that they know what they're doing. And we realize that what they're doing is they're working muscles over and over and over and they're building muscle memory so that when the tournament comes, those muscles turn on and they know exactly what to do and they do them well. So I kind of look at it like the tournament is like life, which Mm -hmm. happens all the time. And so therapy is kind of like the drills and the practice sessions that you go to. So you come and we work through things, we talk through things, we learn coping skills, right? Sometimes we do worksheets and concrete stuff like that. And sometimes it's about the growth that happens behind the scenes so that when the tournaments come, right, when the challenges of life show up, we show up with developed muscles, Yes. Muscle memory that we've been working on. So I can't tell you how many sessions that's going to take. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, I mean, we know that if we go to the gym and we keep lifting weights, obviously it's going to make a much bigger difference if we do it regularly and for a long period of time. It's going to make a much bigger difference than if we go a couple of times and then, <laughs> you know, I went to the gym twice. I looked at the weights. <laughs> And then I tried to pick up 100 pounds and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Therapy doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It does not. We <laughs> wish it did. We wish we had the yeah. magic wand. Yeah. But we don't. And I can't read about juggling. Yes. And then pick up three balls and go, <laughs> oh, this book, it didn't work. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not how we learn how to juggle. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how I have to answer those things. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know how many sessions. We'll figure that out together. Mm-hmm. It really corresponds to how you envision therapy what you think therapy means to you right and if you're looking at it like you know medicine or chiropractic work then it's going to be hard for you to wrap your head around the fact that I can't tell you it's six sessions and you're cured absolutely and I think we can go into this you know in another episode but you've said this many times and I've repeated this Therapy could be one 50-minute session once a week. It's what you're doing the other six days and 23 hours. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece of it as well. It's not going to be those 50 minutes necessarily. There's a lot of muscle building, again, like you said, that you can do in the room and skills building. But how are you implementing it? And that can really change the trajectory of the journey, how long it takes, the frequency, and ultimately what you get out of it. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Which leads to the other question of how often should I go to therapy? So should I go once a week? Should I go every two weeks? Should I go once a month? So usually if people come once a month, I say, well, okay, we're not really going to be doing therapeutic work. We'll be doing maintenance Mm -hmm. if you're coming once a month. And sometimes that's all that people can do or all they're willing to do. Mm -hmm. So I just set sort of reasonable expectations. But if you want to do like therapeutic work, it's kind of like if you're going to the gym and you want to see results... You're going to see your trainer often and then you're going to go to the gym in between your training sessions. So the frequency is going to be a high frequency mm-hmm. and then you're going to see pretty decent results. Yes. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Right. So if you can come frequently and if you work in between the sessions. Yes. Because if you think <laughs> that we can make massive change in the hour that you have in our office once a week and you can do nothing with that information for the whole week it's it's exactly like the gym yep nothing's gonna gonna happen yes yeah absolutely yeah so another question i think we're asked and and just tossed around a lot is like does everyone need therapy like do i need this yeah or even when we've said things like you need therapy i feel like it's off there's a negative connotation that comes with that right I think we're the only ones that might say that to each other and not mean it in a bad way. Yes, You should go to therapy. I mean it like, oh, but this is like so, it's such a nice thing to do for yourself. It's a caring way. It is. It's such a like loving thing to decide to put the time, the energy, the money aside to go to therapy. So if Mm -hmm. I'm like, you should really do this for yourself. I mean it as a very loving statement, but I know that usually it's used as a a derogatory thing. If there's something wrong with you, You should go to therapy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We don't see it that way. I think we need to reframe it as an act of care and really the ultimate like investment in self, not to sound like a sales pitch, but really (laughs) it is like what greater way to invest in yourself than dedicating one hour every one to two weeks to really have space to reflect, to go inward and to, you know, make shifts or heal parts of you. And so it's kind of a gift, at least that's how we see it. And so I think that there needs to be kind of a cultural shift in terms of how we talk about going to therapy and, and who needs it. Yeah, and and about when we decide to go, if there is something wrong, I mean, I, I'll never forget like when I was in a really tough relationship and I asked, can we go to therapy? And I was told, we're not that bad. <laughs> And I remember at the time, and I wasn't a therapist at the time, and I remember thinking, like, how bad do we have to be? <laughs> right. Right? And now, like, years later, as a couples therapist, what I've noticed and what the research says is people wait way too long to go to couples therapy. So by the time they come into my office, they come in with this big, fat suitcase, each of them. Yes. Two big, fat suitcases. Mm-hmm. And they just dump them in front of me. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like an average of six, seven years yep. of conflict before they decide to go to therapy. And then they kind of drop it in front of me. They look at me and they're like, all right. Fix it. Fix it. <laughs> right. right? And yeah. I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. Why didn't you come sooner? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So before it was that bad, mm-hmm. why didn't you come sooner? Mm-hmm. When I have clients come in sooner, I'm like, oh, wow. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. We can create skills ahead of time. We can stop the problems before they start because I can often see where we're headed. Yes. And I can pull us back onto the rails. Yes. <laughs> right? And 
like we can see that we're going towards a wall even if like they can't see it and okay well let's not do that right that's not a good habit let's do this habit instead I can see that before it happens and we can put all those good habits in place if there's something that's really damaging that's happening Mm -hmm. we can heal that earlier rather than later and you know like if people are going to have kids if we're going to have kids we really got to go to therapy Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to do work on ourselves. Well, parenting is about parenting yourself. It, it sure is. Yes, we've learned that. <laughs> yeah, and if you think yeah. you got no issues, have a child. Yes, <laughs> giant mirror, magnifying That's glass. That's right. They will tell you exactly what all of your issues are yes. and anything that you thought you've already worked on. You haven't. You haven't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think the key here is don't wait till you're in crisis. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to do this in a preventative way, what you'll get from it is that much more impactful. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I have picked my therapist. I've gone to my first session and sort of braved that feeling of, I don't know what this is going to feel like. I'm not sure we're going to talk about. How do I know like how many sessions to give it to know if it's a good fit? Right. Like, what next what next absolutely i think the key here is really giving it a little bit of time because at the end of the day therapy is about building a relationship and you know all the textbooks kind of talk about how the number one predictor of therapeutic success is actually the rapport in the relationship that can be what's most healing so just like any other relationship in your life sometimes we need to give it a little bit of time to really decide how we feel if we're comfortable if we're getting out of this relationship really what we need so if you have the ability to give it a few sessions if at first you're not completely sure I think that would be something that we would suggest and then know that if it's not the best fit or it becomes clear that what you're looking for isn't something that this person can offer, ask for a referral or, you know, start that process again of of consultation. Not everybody is going to be a great fit for us either. Like Mm -hmm. we all have our own personalities as therapists. So I don't expect to be everybody's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I don't want somebody to come into my office who really doesn't feel like they click with me because this is me. Like, I'm not going to be able to change who I am. So I would rather somebody say, you know, I just don't know if this is working. And again, I'm not going to be offended by that. I really want to do what I can to support healing, which could mean a referral in some Mm -hmm. cases. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think as clients, we learn a lot about what we are looking for sometimes by getting something we didn't like or something that didn't work for us and it can clarify what we're looking for oh is it that I didn't feel seen or I didn't feel heard or that this person didn't have enough similarities to me so I don't feel known so sometimes we have to go through a couple of experiences where there wasn't that click in that rapport to then realize what we need to look for to get that Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing is to kind of say, I tried therapy and it didn't work for me, but you've tried going once and you just didn't have a good connection. Try again mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. right? And 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 stay open if you can, right? And And see where it goes. Yes. So hopefully after this conversation, you might consider that choosing a therapist takes a little bit more than just, you know, going on Google and 
finding the first available practitioner. Mm-hmm. And maybe you see that you get a little bit of what you put into it, you'll get out of it. Mm-hmm. And that this is an investment. Time, emotional energy, money. And it might be one of the most important decisions you choose to make. I, I usually think that we make two extremely important decisions in our life. Who we choose to partner with, if we choose to have a partner. Yes. And if we're going to have a therapist, <laughs> <laughs> who we choose to be our therapist. And it can be more, we can have more than one therapist in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I certainly have. Yeah. So if you need help looking for a therapist, ask one of your therapist friends. Mm-hmm. They might be able to give you some good ideas for referrals. We'll help you out. But thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Remember that if today you're feeling alone in the valley, we are right there with you. Have fun finding your therapist. Mm -hmm.